tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Live now? Am I live now? I'm live. Yes, you're live. When I said Mike's up. Let me find my pulse. All right, I'm live. Oh, Christmas is coming. No one panic. Oi. Well, let's let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord. You send your Holy Spirit to enlighten the hearts of the faithful. By that same Spirit, may we have right judgment in all things and evermore rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right. Who, what, where? <laughs> who, what, where? Oh, yeah, the, just the voice in my head telling me everything's going swimmingly. All right. That said, okay. Actually, this this is a fascinating reading. Um, the first reading uh, is, uh, well, they're all fascinating. I, that's my problem with the Bible. I love it all. But this is the book of Judges, the 13th chapter, the second verse and following. And this is the story of the, of the conception of uh, Samson. And Again, I would suggest you read the whole chapter. Uh, this is from the book of Judges, chapter 13. And if you go to the USCCB site, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, what you can do is click on the, the citation, uh, for the reading, uh, right across from the reading one, which is in big bold type. You'll see in bold but smaller, Judges 13, colon 2 to 7, comma 24 dash 25a. Sounds like some strange uh, code. It isn't. Uh, click on that, you'll get the whole chapter. Well, it's kind of interesting, because this is the story of, of the Philistines. And the Philistines are kind of an interesting people. There was something called the Bronze Age Collapse, uh, in which the great civilizations of the world in, in the Mediterranean, they all just kind of collapsed at once. And uh, um, there were these people called the Sea Peoples who really um, invaded the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And um, no one is quite sure about this, but most probably these Philistines 
are to be identified with the sea peoples. This is all going on about 1,100 years before Christ, 1,200 years before Christ. And it's very interesting. The word Philistine, you know, it's kind of relevant to our current uh, situation. The word Palestine comes from the word Philistine. The Philistines controlled uh, the seacoast, especially in the area of what is now Gaza. That was kind of their area. And um, the the Israelites were up in the hill country and in the north. So the southwestern Holy Land was, was taken over by these Philistines. And when the Romans... Um, finally obliterated Jerusalem and rebuilt a Roman city over its ruins, they changed the name of the territory to to Palestine from the word Philistine. So it's just kind of interesting uh, that, that uh, uh, these things are being echoed in our times, and that's as far as I want to go about that. Um, we pray uh, as Christians for the peace of Jerusalem and for the the, the peace of all people. All right, moving along here. Uh, back to, to um, the reading. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, who therefore delivered them into the power of the Philistines for 40 years. There's a certain man of Zorah from the clan of the Danites. Now, the Danites uh, kind of had two spots in um, Israel. They, they, were, they had a small territory west of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, that would have been, you know, just west of Jerusalem, or the area just south of Jerusalem. That was the area of Benjamin. And uh, the, um, I think, let me, let me think of my geography. That's right around Jerusalem, close enough. And then they also were given a, a, a section of land way in the north. So the, this is the tribe of, of Dan, or of Dan, D-A-N, would have been pronounced Dan. And they were near the Philistines, and the Philistines were pretty much in charge. Uh, well, this Manoach has a wife who is barren. This is a constant theme in, in Scripture, the barren wife who bears seven sons. She, the Lord relents. Uh, so the Lord always seems to pick the underdog. And, well, this woman has a vision of an angel, and she's not quite sure that it's an angel. And as the vision unfolds, she realizes it's an angel. And this is really very common that, that people have an experience of an angel. And this goes until now. And they don't realize it's an angel until the experience is over. I've heard some amazing stories uh, of angels. And then you don't realize it's an angel until the angel departs. Uh, well, that's what goes on here. Um, the angel tells her she's going to have a son. And he's to refrain from strong drink and unclean foods and never cut his hair. That's called a Nazarite vow. There's a permanent Nazarite vow and a temporary Nazarite vow. Uh, and, and there was a version of the Nazarite vow that, that women took. And there is some thought that, that our Blessed Mother, in effect, had taken a Nazarite, a kind of Nazarite vow. Uh, I'm clicking away, you can hear here. Uh, okay. A Nazarite. Let's let's look it up here. Uh, the the Nazarite abstained from wine and other grape products such as vinegar and grapes, anything from the vine, not just wine. Did not cut the hair on his head and uh, could not have contact with corpses, even those of family members. 
so these ideas of, of vows, uh, the Hebrew word is nazir. It means consecrated or separated. And if you look at the, uh, uh, the Protoevangelium of St. James, which is not canonical, but is a very ancient gospel and very was very respected by the fathers of the church. Uh, uh, it's not a Gnostic gospel. It's, it's, it's probably written mm, 100 years after Christ uh, and probably has some, some real content, some, some true content in it. Uh, it. It's easy to find on the web, the, the Protoevangelium of St. James. Um, some of it's fantasy, some of it's not fantasy, apparently. And it seems that there were young women who were dedicated to the service of the temple, and our Blessed Mother uh, seems to have been one of those. So it's it's an old story, but she would have had a, uh, essentially a vow of chastity, and that, that's mentioned in the book of Leviticus, how to take a woman's vow of chastity. So all that said, uh, and of course she would have been married to Joseph, who was an older relative to to protect her? They didn't have convents, so you would have a, a, a marriage that was fraternal and not intimate. I'm getting way off the track. Let's get back to the chapter. Well, uh, this this woman uh, has this vision, and she summons her husband, and he says, "This child you're going to give us." Um, uh, what should we do? How do we take care of this? And he explains uh, what the responsibilities of the child would be in the Nazarite vow. And he says, let, let us make some food for you. And he says, well, you can offer the goat and, 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 and the, the bread to the Lord as a, a grain offering. And so they, they put it on a rock and, um, the, 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 the flame from the, the altar that they'd made rose to the heavens. And uh, this is, of course, before the altar in Jerusalem, so they, they could offer an offering there. Uh, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Uh, but interestingly, before that, they're beginning to wonder, because in verse 17 of the chapter, Manoah said, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that we may honor you when your words come true? The angel of the Lord answered him, Why do you ask my name? It is wondrous. I think that's interesting, and the ongoing controversy whether we should name our angels. And you're welcome to name your angel. I have a feeling, though, if I name my angel when I get to heaven, meet my guardian angel, God willing, I make it. Uh, uh, the angel will say, uh, "Nice to meet you, or nice to talk to you." And and uh, but my name was not Fred. That kind of thing. Uh, the names of the angels are wondrous. And I think this is an interesting verse in that regard. There's nothing against naming your angel. Just don't, just don't count on it to be his actual name. Um, the, the, if it helps you to, to realize that you are accompanied by angels and, and, and heavenly beings, then fine. Name your angel. Uh, so the, this idea that, that, uh, uh, what is your name that we may honor you? That's the problem uh, with naming an angel. I mean, that that um, uh, we don't worship angels. Angels don't want to be worshipped. Angels are transparent. Uh, that that they they want to draw us to God. I, I think I've shared the the uh, analogy with you that that you know it's a hot summer day and <laughs> uh, you're thirsty and and you want to drink a water. You turn the hose on. Let the let the water run uh, until it's nice and cold, and then you take the water. And go, oh, that's great! Uh, drink cold water on a hot day from a from a hose. 
Well, you don't say, oh, what a wonderful hose. That, that, no, the hose is incidental. It's carrying the water. And this, that's what the word angel means. And that's what the Hebrew word malach means. A messenger of the Lord. You're, you're, you're there for the message, not for the messenger. And, and, uh, angels really don't simply do not want an angel from the Lord does not want to be worshiped. The demons, they're angels who are fallen and yeah, they want to be worshiped. So, um, eh, just some thoughts on that. All right, let's move to the gospel, which is, um, to me, is fascinating. Let me look at my time because there's a lot about this gospel I want to share. First of all, um, well, it's Luke, the first chapter, the fifth verse and following. And um, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abiga. What's that about? There were probably 20,000 priests in Israel. Remember, to be a priest, and that word is someone who offers sacrifice. I am an elder ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ. But Zechariah was a descendant of Aaron, and he was someone who offered sacrifice. Christ is the sacrificer at Mass. I stand in for him being an elder of the church. So it's I, I don't think I have time to go into the theology of ordination at the moment. But there were 20,000 Kohanim, 20,000 sacrificer priests. Give or take. And they couldn't all serve in the temple. And they had 24 divisions. The, 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 these 20,000 people were divided up into 24 divisions. And each division was able to give service in the temple twice a year. There was a whole calendar, which I actually looked up, and it's kind of fascinating. I, I'm going to get myself confused by this, but it has to do with the dating of Christmas. Um, so the um, this priestly division of Abiya served once, I oh gosh, when was it? Once around Yom Kippur, and once, I think, around Passover. And not all the priests would go. I don't think it was compulsory if you were a priest to go to the temple. It was a great honor, but there were just so many uh, that not all had to go. And even of those who went, there were still way too many. So they served by lot. Now, Zechariah was not a high priest. He would not have offered incense on the day of Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies. He would have gone right up to the edge of the, of the, uh, I think up to the edge of the Holy of Holies, at least in the tent of meeting. That's where the incense was offered in the holy place. And the, it might have been outside the temple building at the altar of sacrifice by that point. But there was the hour of incense. There were two hours of incense during the day, in the morning and in the evening. And the incense was offered to the Lord. So, um, uh, he entered the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. He was either just past the altar or actually, I'm not sure, he may have been in the holy place, not in the holy of holies. So um, the whole of the assembly was praying outside at this hour of incense. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and he was terrified. Uh, the angel said, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will have a son. Now we can date Christmas by this vision because he, the scripture says he returned home uh, um, 
Uh, and after this time, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Doesn't say how long it was, but the implication, it was fairly immediately after this. So if it was, I believe if, if he was uh, offering incense near the time of Passover, Jesus would have been born, what, in May or something? But if it was the Yom Kippur offering of incense, John the Baptist would have been conceived slightly after the Feast of Yom Kippur and add six months to, to uh, the three months, <laughs> which the angel talks to, says to the Blessed Mother, and you get Jesus being born in late December. So, you know, we celebrate Christmas in late December. And in addition to that, uh, Hippolytus, who was a priest of Rome, uh, thought that the, the date of Jesus' conception was March 25th. And Julius Africanus, who was an early Christian historian, uh, um, dated the uh, conception of the Lord, the Annunciation, also to March 25th. And that would mean Jesus was born December 25th, nine months later. Now, so many people want to say, oh, the Christians just are trying to take over a pagan feast. We celebrate Christmas on December 25th because in the early church, they believed Jesus was conceived on March 25th. And why did they believe he was conceived on March 25th? Because he was crucified by some calendars on March 25th. Um, and it was believed that a prophet died on the anniversary of his, not his birth, but his conception. And the tradition from 100, 150 years after Christ in the Holy Land was that the Annunciation, an event that would be remembered because it involved an angel, uh, just like uh, the conception of uh, Samson, that that event was March 25th. So, our celebration of Christmas on December 25th is for a reason, not just to steal the thunder from the Romans. In fact, is uh, the feasts of the Romans may have been created to steal the thunder from us and didn't succeed. All right, just some thoughts. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Zechariah when we when we have our word of the day. But at the moment, let us go to a break. And we will call in. By the way, I'm not getting a lot of letters these days. I, I got caught up on my letters. And very interestingly, I'm not getting a lot of letters. And you can send, if you want to send a question by mail, you can send it to Simon at RelevantRadio.com. That's my email, isn't it? Uh, do your voice in my head? Correct. Simon at, Simon at just Simon, Simon at RelevantRadio.com. And uh, I will do my best to answer it on the air or or sending it back to you. But at this moment, we are going to go to a break. We'll come back with a, a few letters, well, at least a couple. And um, uh, you can call in. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Father Simon says, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. On Relevant Radio. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. I have decided to follow Jesus. I 
turning back, no turning back. Yes, the that world is what behind me. And that's what I want to do. You know? And I, I'm. Uh, we're getting a lot of phone calls about the current situation and. Uh, um, What's the name of the document? Uh, uh, Supplicans uh, Fiducia? No, what is it? I forget. But the recent document from the Vatican. And uh, I can do no better than Drew did on his show yesterday. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful exposition of the document itself. And all I can say is read the document. Do not read what uh, news outlets say about it. Read the document. Why it was thought to be necessary to produce this at this moment, I have no idea. But fiducia, uh, fiducia uh, supplicans, which means asking in in faith. Um, the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, put out a uh, a little thing yesterday saying that Catholic teaching on marriage and uh, and uh, Sexual morality has not changed at all and will not change. Um, uh, that, that it is very upsetting that people want to get their news from people who essentially hate the Catholic Church. And uh, so all I can do is say, read the document. Uh, and another wonderful thing is to listen to Drew's uh, show yesterday. Uh, what hour is that, Drew's show? It's, it's, uh, I think it's at 2.30 Central. At two thirty Central, uh, very good exposition, and and again today, uh, Monsignor Shea, uh, who is a very very intelligent man, a very good man, uh, he will be talking about it. So, I I don't want to take calls about it. You know, I talk about the Bible, and my only skill is really a few Greek verbs and a couple Hebrew nouns, and and uh, I like history a lot. You know. So moral theologians are, this is their, their bailiwick and not so much mine. That said, let us go to letters. Okay. Um, all right. And you, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I get all sorts of letters and all of a sudden I'm not getting letters. Was it something I said? I don't know. Hold on. Let me, let me go. I, I, let me go to this. I just beautiful letter I got from Anna Maria. Where did I put it? It's here somewhere. Okay, it's here somewhere. Ah, there it is. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Oh, did I lose it? Oh, dear. Good hmm. grief. Good grief. Well, it was a lovely letter, uh, and I will I will get it in just a minute. Come on. I'm trying to press a button on computer number two. Well... All right, uh, I'll come to that in a minute. Let us instead go to um, a letter from, it's, it's, it's an older letter from uh, Kathy. And she says, in discussing when the Old Testament was recognized by the Catholic Church with an independent Baptist, he claims the deuterocanonicals uh, weren't added to the canon until after Luther started the Protestant Reformation. I have always read that the canon was formed by 350 A.D., and these books were already included. So my argument is they've always been part of our Old Testament, and that it was Luther who removed them, not us adding them. He will not accept information from the Internet, claiming our church is lying to us. Is there an authoritative source that I can refer to to help my argument? You're absolutely right in this, that the early church uh, clearly believed that uh, uh, the... um, 
the so-called deuterocanonical books uh, were in the the scriptures. We took the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the English scriptures. However, uh, the most authoritative source uh, I think in that you can get, and again, uh, let me click this up, uh, uh, the quotes from the deuterocanonical books, <laughs> I'm rushing before the music starts, deuterocanonical books in the New Testament, that they are quoted in the New Testament. Uh, let's see here. All right, um, let's see here. Uh, this is a site called, uh, well, you just look up Deuterocanonical books in the New Testament, and you will see that uh, Matthew chapter 216 uh, uh, um, was prophesied in Wisdom 11.7. Wisdom is a Deuterocanonical, a so-called Deuterocanonical book. And then uh, Jesus' statement about laying up treasure for yourselves is in Sirach, the 29th chapter, 11 verse. And Matthew, the 7th verse, the 12th, uh, the seventh chapter, the twelfth verse, Jesus' golden rule to do unto the others is uh, the converse of Tobit's 4.15. Uh, and then there's a whole list of them. You will know them by their fruits. That's from the book of Sirach. Uh, uh, they were like sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9.36. That's uh, uh, Judith 11, uh, verse 19. So there are all these quotes in the New Testament from the Deuterocanonical books. In other words, Jesus quoted them as scripture. Well, that doesn't mean they're Bible. Don't argue with the guy. He's not going to bend. Just say, you worship God in your way, and I'll worship him in his. But to me, the most authoritative text on the inspired nature of the so-called Deuterocanonical books. uh, Let me explain the Deuterocanonical books. Those are books of the Bible which did not appear to have Hebrew originals when the when the Jewish rabbis canonized their scriptures, when they when they decided on their canon of scripture, uh, the the Christians' canon was really in place by the year one fifty two hundred. It wasn't officially formalized until later, but it it was already there. Uh, there was essential, and and where did they get the canon of scripture from? These were the books that were being read in the Bible from um, uh, from Spain all the way to India and from Germany all the way to Ethiopia. These were the now there were some that were read in places like Ethiopia that weren't read in Germany. They picked the ones that were being universally read, and and uh, said these are the books on which you can count. So really, the 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 liturgy is the mother of the Bible. The books that were being read at Mass in the liturgy became the books that were canonized as scripture. And in a certain sense, the rabbis reacted to the Catholic canon, to the Christian canon, by excluding books that were not in Hebrew and books that Christians particularly uh, thought inspired. So uh, when, when Luther and the reformers looked at the scriptures, they they looked and saw that, well the uh, the the canon of the Jewish Bible was smaller than the canon of the Catholic Bible, and they didn't really say that those books had been added. They just thought of them as secondarily important, and the idea that they were added developed 
uh, over the centuries since the Reformation. But no, uh, the early the scriptures that we use uh, are the scriptures that the early church used. Um, uh, in fact, as some of the uh, like the Ethiopians, they had a few books that we don't we don't look at as as canonical, but. You know, and you know, if we get into arguments about people with people of other, um, of other uh, uh, Christian, of other of other denominations, you know, what you say is, "Do you love Jesus?" Well, of course, I love Jesus. I love Jesus too, and that's not enough. So that's what I would, I would, I would say. Um, all right, there is uh, the other letter is from Anna Maria. It's a beautiful meditation about. Uh, uh, I really can't summarize it, but it's a beautiful meditation on uh, on the um, uh, the joy of Zechariah. Uh, in other words, people are kind of curious about Zechariah. It seems that that our blessed mother and Zechariah were both um, uh, both seem to question the angel. The blessed mother said, "How will this happen?" And Zechariah basically said, ah, "This can't happen." That's the difference. Our blessed mother was concerned because, as I mentioned earlier, she seemed to have had a a, a vow of chastity, and and she said, "I do not know man." Uh, in other words, not I'm not planning on. It. I don't. This isn't going to happen with me, and and so how is this going to take place? And the angel explains to her, she was never. Uh, refusing the will of God or doubting the will of God, where Zechariah said, yeah, right, this is going to happen. I don't think so. That's the difference. And uh, so Zechariah was given the sign of silence. Um, uh, and and uh, that, good grief, my computer is just insisting that I pay attention to it. Okay, I keep pressing the little X and it keeps going. Okay. But this is a very beautiful meditation. Uh, it is said that it was in the temple while burning incense that the angel of God came to Zechariah. Incense rises toward God carrying the prayers of men. The cloud uh, it forms allows God to be very close without being seen. Um, so God makes himself better heard in that quiet. And Zechariah is left as mute because he only half believes it. So... In other words, Zechariah spends nine months of silence learning to listen to God. I think that's a lovely thought. Um, and when he finally can speak again is when he, in obedience to God, names him John, which means the gift of God. So I think that's a wonderful meditation. And thank you, Anna Maria. All right. Let us move along here. Um, well, let's go to a break. and We'll come back with... The word of the day. And uh, again, the phone is open. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Stephen, who is listening in Illinois, for donating his 2018 Hyundai Tucson. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. I'll be home for Christmas. This is 
such a sad song. It really is. It's, I think it was from the war, uh, the Second World War. Uh, for you young folks, that was a war that was a while ago. Um, it is interesting to me how people have sort of forgotten about that war. I was born just a few years after it. Uh, but so it was very much very present. And, and I'm digressing a lot today, but... Uh, and the whole thing is, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. I'll, I'll cheer you all up. All right, let's go to the word of the day. I changed my mind about the word of the day because uh, the I already talked about the word of the day uh, there. But I want to talk about Elijah. Um, a lot of people get very odd about, about this Elijah business because... Uh, they say, well, that's proof of reincarnation. Uh, when when the the uh, uh, disciples are asking about John in in uh, Matthew the eleventh chapter thirteenth verse, it says all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. See, he was reincarnated, and and uh, we read also in um, oh gosh, further on in in Matthew we read. Uh, uh, Matthew seventeen twelve. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but they did not recognize him. Done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer in their hands. Well, clearly it says that. Elijah, no, it doesn't. Look at what the text says about John the Baptist. Uh, the angel tells Zechariah's father, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers toward children. Uh, this is that's a quote from the book of Malachi. Uh, that that um, very interesting. That's the teaching for another. Well, why not today? That the uh, uh, until there's reconciliation, to turn the hearts of fathers toward their children, and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, um, religion can be a very difficult thing. That if there isn't a spirit of reconciliation and of submission of obedience uh, to understanding, you know, when I go off half cocked and want to sit and argue about religion religion can be a curse you know we look at the world today and the wars of religion that's not what god intends um uh, there must be a reconciliation the turning of the hearts of fathers toward children of children to their fathers that is the the the, the book of malachi which is uh the last book before the of prophecy before the new testament in in the canon so i think it's very interesting but what was i talking about yes that that note that john the baptist is in the spirit and power of elijah he is not elijah but he is uh filled with that same spirit and that same power that uh filled elijah so so don't get too uh convinced uh that 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 this is a text that proves the possibility of reincarnation. It is appointed for each to die once, and then the judgment, Scripture says elsewhere. Uh, so um, uh, uh, he comes in, in, the, in the, the spirit and in the power, the dynamis. So, okay, enough said. Let's go to phone calls. Telegram for you, sir. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I, I see. I can read. I, I can read. Uh, Tracy! From Loveland, Colorado, what can I do for you? Go on. Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, one, um, I heard a, a Protestant pastor talk about um, Melchizedek, and he went to mm-hmm. great um, uh, long explanation that Melchizedek was 
was Jesus. And he mentioned, you know, he's the Prince of Peace to the King of Righteousness. He was in the beginning and the end, and he offered the bread and um, wine, and uh, who else could it be? And it was a compelling argument. I just wanted to see um, what your, if you agreed or what your thought was on it. And uh, I can get off the line and just listen to your explanation. Sure. Actually, well, you can stay on the line. Actually, Shem, whatever you want to do. But uh, there's some theories that uh, Melchizedek was descent, was the son of Moses. Let me see if I can find that. Melchizedek and Shem. Yeah, that that, uh, Chazalic literature. (laughs) Okay, Chazalic literature identifies Melchizedek as Shem, the son of Noah. Uh, that is uh, um, uh, one tradition. But what we would say in the Catholic Church is that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Uh, the, the Greek word type, it's, it's typos. It, it doesn't mean a kind of Christ. No, he was, he was a forerunner, a prophetic person who personified or who anticipated Christ that that uh, uh Moses would would have been a a type and that that Greek word is T Y P O S and so you got a typos it's it's the it's it's as in we talk about uh uh type as in a typewriter those are things that are now extinct also or or movable type T Y P E that that it's a uh, a sort of example of what is to come. So we would look at Melchizedek as a forerunner of Christ, uh, a, a person who's very, uh, someone who's very person is prophetic. So we don't believe he was Jesus. Jesus was just Jesus. Uh, um, we all, the scripture also talks about the rock that followed them in the desert. That's a fascinating, which was Christ. Uh, uh, the, the, the rock which followed them in the desert, that sounds kind of almost creepy, a big rock following them. But there was a, 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 an old belief among the Jews that, that a well followed the people, so they always had water. And at one point, that was the rock uh, that, that I'm going to find here. That was the rock that from which Moses drew water. Okay, you can hear me typing away. Uh, yes, the rock that followed them was Christ. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 4. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Jesus was not a rock, <laughs> but there's a wonderful old song, My God is a rock in a weary land. So, so uh, these are types. These are anticipations of Christ. I hope that I hope that helps. It's a great question. Let's go to Joseph calling from Dundee, Illinois. Joseph, what can I do for you? Yeah, my concern is that, uh, you know, I'm from a 10-person Catholic family, and I mm-hmm. argue with my brothers and my sisters that uh, my my brother's telling me that God is non-binary, that he Good is uh, not a man or a woman. And uh, I worked with this uh, lesbian girl at work that said mm-hmm. God is a woman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. St. Thomas Aquinas points out that God is neither male nor female. But we human beings experience people, at least we did until recently, only as male or female. And we still do, whether we admit it or not. Uh 
and our relationship with God is personal. The mystery of the feminine in God is wrapped up in the church. God is Father because we experience because Jesus experienced him as Father. Jesus is clearly masculine because well, he was born the son of of, of God's son of Mary and was thought to be the son of Joseph, uh, who was actually his his foster father. And the Holy Spirit, the word spirit in Greek is neuter. The church, the early Christians thought, is a woman, and heaven is conceived of as the divine marriage between the bride, who is the church, and Christ, who is the Son of the Father. That's the poetry of it. And these people, you know, they accuse us of being fundamentalists and literalists. They're the literalists and fundamentalists. Uh, that, that masculinity and femininity reflect the realities of God and the church. God is infinitely more than his reflection. And just as the angel said to Manoach today, my name is wondrous, so the reality when we experience it and see it in itself will be wondrous. But to be that fundamentalist and literalist, say God is a man, God is a woman, or God is binary or non-binary, these people are more fundamentalists than fundamentalists. Does that help a little, Joseph? Well, was it was it not Jesus Christ that uh, knelt down in the uh, the Garden of Olives and, and prayed? Yeah, I said, "Father." He called God Father. Our, our exactly. Father. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's my point. That Jesus experienced God as Father in His humanity, and that's why we call God Father. Well, he was just a man of his times. There were mother goddesses all over the place. There were Greek cities oh, in the Holy Pastor Land Romana, with priestesses and all that. Yeah, yeah they, they, they worshipped anything they wanted. Yeah, and, and we're getting to be like them. No, you're exactly right that, that Jesus called God Father for perfectly good reason. And that had to do with the great mystery of, 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 of the parenthood of God, the fatherhood of God for all humanity. So, yeah, that, that's your argument is fine. But again, they're not going to listen to you because they're going to believe what they want to believe. And, you know, we just have to live good and holy lives and hope that they see what we have and want it. So I hope that helps, Joseph. God bless, and I'm honored that you uh, called and honored that you listened. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Let's go to Jessica from Morrisville, North Carolina. What can I do for you, Jessica? What is a good way for us to learn more about mortal sin, please, Father Simon? The Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, let's see here. Uh, you, you can look up in the index, Mortal Sin. Let me see if I can look something up in the web easily and quickly. Okay, Mortal Sin in the Catholic. 1846, the voice in my head just look, looked it up. Uh, chapter or, or paragraph 1846 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's the absolute best place to learn about it say that again dear voice in my head that's the section on sin father this is live and then yes. it goes to specifically for mortal and venial sin it starts at 1854 there you go that Does is that very help? helpful because i have like the adult version and i don't think the index is the same thank you oh all right well there you go all right god bless and thanks for calling in let's go to rose from los angeles god bless what can i do for you Good morning, a good afternoon, Father Simon. Two things for you, Father. I've been listening to you about your concern about not getting letters. 
Well, let me tell you <laughs> yes. that the spirit, the spirit, <laughs> but the spirit has asked me to call you, and I got through to tell you, don't oh. be concerned. You know why? Because number why? one, Father, I've listened to you for a long time, and the reason you're not getting letters is because you're speaking the truth. I have been oh. following. There are many Protestants that are. There are a lot of non-Catholics who have been calling you, Father, for quite some time, and I'm listening to their yeah, questions. I so, did you notice that? So, secondly, the fact that you are speaking the truth, the truth is frightening to some of them because they are not accepting the truth of the Catholic Church. Well, Number two, I want to say I admire so much and continue to listen to your historical, wonderfully evolving, I should say revealing historical history regarding the faith, regarding our faith, regarding the history of our faith. I'm a convert, convert 60-something years now, and I want oh. to tell you, Father, you are truly, truly a God, a, a godly man, a holy man, and a shepherd. Uh, and I, well, after 84 uh, years, I want to thank, thank you today. God bless you. Well, and Merry thank Christmas, you very Father. Much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And that's all the good to hear. Just remember, take it with a grain of salt, because uh, I don't know about how holy I am, but I, I guess God did ask me to be a shepherd. There, That's the salt shaker. There's the proviso. I'm honored that you listen, and that's so kind, Rose. God bless you. Let's go to Therese from Palos Heights. Therese, what can I do for you? Oh, Father, you can answer a question. I was challenged yesterday by someone who invited me to show where the Bible says we must tithe. And I said, Father Simon will know. So that's my question, Father. Where does it say to tithe in the Bible? Leviticus 2730. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Lord. A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain of the soil, uh, uh, the, um, uh, it literally says a tenth. Uh, uh, however, now this is going <laughs> to confuse the issue completely. A Christian okay. doesn't give 10%. A Christian gives 100%. In other words, Ooh. when we give our lives to Christ, it's like this is his house, this is his card, this is his retirement account, this is his stock portfolio, this is checking account. How do you want me to use your stuff for your glory, Lord? And being a, a, a generous, yes, yes, that's where it is, 2730. But, okay. but, for, but the, 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 the tithing uh, uh, is on, on uh, uh, the, the produce of the land. But really, we, we, we believe that we belong to Christ. We, we become the slaves of God. And what was our property now becomes our responsibility. We're to use it wisely for the glory of God and not just for our own luxury. Thank goodness he's a generous, generous owner who allows us to go on a vacation with our kids now and then, that sort of thing. So, yes, but 20, Leviticus 2730 talks about the tithe. And Thank uh, you, Father. the church, they, they did continue that. They just, you know, it cost money. There you go. Well, hey, may all your questions be so simply answered. Let's go to Peter, it. who's, oh, God bless, God bless, Therese, God bless. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Peter in Waterbury. Hey, Father. Uh, it's an honor yes. to talk to you, Father Simon. I absolutely love your show, and I learned so much. I have a, a, a quick question for you. Um, uh, God hit me with a two-by-four a bunch of years ago, and I spent uh, four years at the New England Catholic Biblical School, and that was absolutely yeah. an amazing experience. And I uh, met a lot yeah. of great people there, and one of my friends, Hank, is going to continue on to get his master's. And 
Hank has to decide between biblical Hebrew or biblical Greek. And I figure who better than oh, Father Know It All? Go with Greek. Go with question. Greek. Go with Greek. I taught Latin and Greek for 25 years and I studied Hebrew. And of those three languages, I would say if it was a choice between Latin and Greek, learn Greek. I used to call my Latin course remedial thinking. It's a wonderful mental exercise. But the New Testament is, of course, written in Greek. And the Septuagint, which is sort of the authoritative uh, early Christian commentary on the Hebrew scriptures, is, uh, uh, is in Greek. So I would say Greek. And Hebrew is a lifelong study. It's a very different language. Uh, Semitic languages are, are quite different conceptually than Western languages. But Greek, uh, he can probably handle, sounds like a smart person, uh, and he can certainly get enough Greek in a year or two to, to, to be able to use it. So I would say Greek. Uh, and then work on Hebrew for the rest of his life. Hebrew's tough. At least I think it's tough. All right, speaking of, of things to learn and languages to speak, Drew is coming up. So don't go anywhere. He will inform and enlighten, especially in these very strange times. 